أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين وصلى الله تبارك وتعالى وسلم على سيدنا وسندنا وحبيبنا وشفيعنا ومولانا محمد صلى الله عليه وسلم وبعد This is a, a book that uh, I came across uh, in my studies early on. I'd heard about it, and then I, I came across this particular copy that was sitting out of place in a masjid bookstore. Unfortunately, we have no bookstores in America, or very few, and the few that we have are poorly curated. So I saw it sitting amongst a bunch of fluff books, saying, what is this book of ilm doing here? I have to save it from the calamity that's befallen it, like, uh, uh, you know, like Sayyidina Yusuf in Egypt, alayhi uh, salam. So I, I, I took it home and it was a good opportunity for me to, uh, for me to scrutinize it and study it a little bit more. And uh, thereafter, I uh, felt that its contents should be shared with people. So uh, in order to disseminate its contents further, uh, one has to study it. Uh, and so in a gathering of imams, and religious leaders uh, that took place in Boston a couple of years ago, uh, most of whom you know. Um, I had put on the WhatsApp group that I have this book, so if in the after hours anyone wants to sit and read through the hadith from beginning to end, maqra, like Sheikh uh, Musa had mentioned, which is an old custom of the ulama that when the students of knowledge that when they get together, they sit and read the hadith of the Prophet وسلم, and they exchange ijazat. The only person who uh, uh, answered the call was, interestingly enough, uh, uh, someone associated with care, Dawood uh, Walid. Allah Ta'ala uh, rewarded him and give him a long life. He's the care, he's the head of care or the, one of the founding members of care in Detroit, which is not that far away from, from us. A very solid uh, individual, Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Ta'ala, keep him healthy and give him long life. So we sat and read the book from beginning to end. And uh, I've been looking over it from time to time, because of, uh, especially because of its connection with the, uh, with the, uh, the aqidah of the Muslims. And so it's called Tasrih bima tawatara fi nuzul al-Masih. It is called the, the clear uh, and unequivocal, unequivocal statement uh, with regards to the fact that coming back, the coming back of Sayyidina Isa alayhi before the end of time is a, a, a decisive part of the deen. It's something about which there is no argument whatsoever. And it's very interesting, there's so many things about Islam that people assume are known and they're not questioned until a person uh, questions them. And then what happens is the way fitna works, fitna is oftentimes something that is more political or more uh, uh, psychological than it is uh, intellectual. So if someone were to tell you, you know, like, do you have a dalil for this? Do you have a dalil for that? What's your dalil that it's permissible to breathe while you're praying? Uh, you know, one may have a, a difficult time coming up with something like that. But, you know, if someone were to make a big issue out of it and then half of the Muslims have a doubt about it, then undoubtedly one of the ulama will have to get up and, like, write a book about why it's permissible to breathe while praying. And so there are a number of strange things that were considered to be uh, just taken for granted that everybody knows these things are a part of the deen until somebody gets up and makes a big problem about it, makes a big fuss about it. And this issue about Sayyidina Isa salam, coming back is one of those issues. And so the book itself is compiled by uh, one of the previous uh, Grand Muftis of the Islamic Republic of Pakistan, 
Uh, Allah Ta'ala uh, uh, protect it and make it uh, uh, live up to its name. Um, his name was Mufti Muhammad Shafi'i. Uh, he is the father of, uh, of, of Mufti Taqi, who is one of the foremost ulama uh, in, in, in the Indian subcontinent and in the world as well. He's the architect of much of what we consider the modern, uh, the modern discipline of Islamic financing, as well as, uh, as well as significant achievement in a number of other disciplines of learning, including hadith. Uh, he continued, uh, one of his uncles wrote a, a partial commentary on, uh, on Sahih Muslim, and he finished about half of it, and so he finished his uncle's work. Uh, just a ulama, a great alim of the, of the first rate. Mufti Shafi'i, if you want to know who he is, perhaps the, 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 one of the best resources for the tafsir of the Qur'an in English is a tafsir uh, called Ma'arif al-Qur'an. You may have seen it. I don't know if we have a copy in this masjid, but you may have seen it lying around. It's translated into English uh, from the original Urdu, but it was written uh, and, and compiled in such a way that it was there to make accessible the classical, the classical sources of tafsir to a lay reader. Uh, and it's a really wonderful resource. It's a really wonderful resource. Uh, it was based on a, a number of uh, uh, of tafsir uh, lectures that were given in Radio Pakistan, uh, I think in the 50s or 60s. And uh, if somebody wants to read the tafsir of the Quran, like, you know, if you read like English translations, there's a very, uh, English is a very poor language in terms of classical uh, Islamic learning. So if you read, for example, Yusuf Ali's translation and things like that, you won't actually see a lot of, um, a lot of classical sources being referenced or Muhammad Muhsin Khan or whatever, whatever the five or six import, important tafsirs that are out there, or sorry, translations that are out there, you won't see a lot of reference to classical sources, to Razi and Khurtubi and all of these people. You have to actually know Arabic in order to read those. And so uh, uh, he, uh, he's known for a number of different works, Perhaps you've come across this Ma'arif al-Qur'an. If you haven't, you can uh, find it online. It's a really wonderful resource to, uh, to understanding the Qur'an. And so what he did was he compiled this book in the name of his shaykh. Uh, uh, in the name of his shaykh, based on a number of lectures of his shaykh as well. Um, and his shaykh was who? His shaykh in hadith was an individual by the name of Muhammad Anwar Shah Kashmiri, rahimahullah ta'ala, the same Kashmir that's in, this, uh, in the news nowadays. Kashmir is one of the, the, the old lands that accepted Islam and one of the first parts of the Indian subcontinent in which people accepted Islam in great numbers. They say that one of the Mashaykh, uh, uh, one of the, the idolatrous kings of Kashmir saw him uh, from afar and was uh, impressed by him and asked him to come uh, and speak to him. And after a conversation, the, the, the king, he accepted Islam and, and a great number of the Kashmiri people accepted Islam uh, thereafter. So this uh, uh, Shaykh Muhammad Anwar Shah, uh, he was, he is referred to as a Khatimatul Hufav. Uh, he is referred to as a Khatimatul Hufav. He is one of the last people of, uh, of the field of Hadith um, from the ulama that had the supernatural memory. Um, and so we're talking about, he, you know, turn of the century. He passed away in the early 1900s. Um, supernatural memory that he had a completely photographic memory. He would see something once and then he wouldn't have to ever see it again. Uh, he would be able to quote from it verbatim. So they say that the, 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 li the library in the Darul Ulum in Deoband, in the madrasa that he used to teach in, that he had memorized every single book in the uh, entire library. 
And someone once asked him, like, why, how did you get this gift from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? Uh, and he said that because I venerated the knowledge. I venerated, meaning I showed so much respect to the knowledge. I considered the knowledge to be sacred. This is one of the reasons that Shaykh Musa, sentimentally we say these things about like this is, you know, you'll see the value of this on the Day of Judgment and this is so important, so important. And people are like in one year out the other. The reason we say that is because we saw those people who literally they considered this ilm to be deen. And so uh, Mufti Taqi is alive. I've met him before, right? His father is Mufti Shafi who compiled this book. And now we're talking about Mufti Shafi's Shaykh. Anwar Shah, rahimahullah. He said that I venerated the knowledge so much. When asked, how did Allah give you this gift of being able to just see something and remember it verbatim for, for 40 years uh, uh, or more afterward? He said that uh, when, I, uh, when I, yes? Brother Shaykh, mashallah, this is the, this is the subject. Because al-isnadu min ad-deen, walawla al-isnadu laqala man sha'a ma sha'a. This chain of narration is from the deen. Uh, and whoever, if, it doesn't, if it wasn't for this chain of narration, whoever wished to say whatever they wished to say about the, the deen would have said whatever they want. So with all due respect, uh, we mentioned the names of our mashayikh and we mentioned where we received the knowledge from. And this was specifically uh, the request of the, the, the speaker who will inshallah uh, speak at length about the topic that I tell what is this book that we're reading from and what is the munasaba of the book being written and who are the people who compiled it. Uh, Barakallahu fikum. So the uh, uh, Shaykh, he said that I venerated this knowledge so much that, you know, uh, the hawashi, the marginal notes. So when you have a book, especially classical books, sometimes the, uh, the language of the books is muakkat. It's very, uh, um, it's very terse. It's difficult to understand. They used to write books in the old days uh, in order to be as short as possible for two reasons. One is because they had to copy the books by hand. You didn't just stick it in the copy machine. Uh, or have printing presses. Uh, and so if you make a, a book really long, then it's not going to survive. No one will be able to read it because the copyist doesn't have time or energy to copy it. The second is that they used to memorize the books in the old days as well. Uh, and so the shorter the book is, the easier it is to memorize, but the harder it is to understand. You have to have someone explain it to you at great length. Uh, so he said that the Hawashi, the explanations that were written in the old days, if you look at manuscripts, this is another shame that we don't read you know, we don't have the culture of learning anymore, so we don't see manuscripts. If you look at a manuscript, it's not printed like this. Rather, you have the, the, the main text in the middle, and then what will happen is that they'll write the explanation of the text around the margin, and sometimes they'll write in circles, uh, uh, so that a person knows uh, where one point uh, that's very long, uh, they don't have to end it, they, they just keep writing. So he said that all the other students of knowledge, they used to, when they would read the, 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 the notes, when, the, when the, the direction of the text would turn, they would turn the book. And he said that I always revered the knowledge so much when, when, it was, uh, when the direction of the text would turn, I would get up and move, put the book in the center, and I would be the one who would move with it. This is part of our deen, by the way. These are not just like tall tales, right? This is part of our deen. Those people who revered the, revered the knowledge and gave it value, Allah gave them ilm. And those people who are too cool for school, then Allah says, go do whatever you want. Uh, uh, this knowledge only uh, goes to the people who revere it. So Anwar Shah Ta'ala, why did he compile this book? The reason he compiled these lectures that were then transcribed by his student is because during his lifetime, there was in uh, Punjab, which is a, uh, a, a province uh, of both of Pakistan and of India now, 
And someone might ask again, why are we mentioning these things? There is, Punjab has more Muslims in it than any Arab country in, in the world. Uh, it's, it's a, I mean, these places, these are part of the Ummah. And not to say that one is more important than the other, but to ignore one or the other is not, it's a tragedy that we don't know, you know, what's going on in the Ummah. In Punjab, there was a man who, uh, uh, who would debate with Christians. And when he would debate with the Christians, he was very adept at debating, a skilled debater. And when he would start to win the debate, he would start to curse uh, Sayyidina Isa Islam. And the ulama would tell them, it's fine if you want to debate with the Christian missionaries that came with the British colonialists, that's fine. But don't curse Sayyidina Isa Islam, he's a Nabi of Allah. And the man said, well, you know, he would just dismiss it. He would be like, well, I'm not cursing our Isa, I'm cursing theirs. Which is what? It's a cop-out. Right? He doesn't want to modify his behavior and admit that he was doing something wrong. So he just copped out and kept doing it. And uh, what ends up happening is this man will eventually, he'll become drunk with his, with his celebrity. Uh, because if someone is teaching something normal, nobody cares. But if something's doing something novel, like, oh look, I beat the missionaries in a debate, it becomes very famous. And so he became a famous man and the, the fame uh, uh, kind of made him drunk. And because of this bad attitude that he had, it kind of deranged him uh, over time. And one day he will say, well, I don't any longer follow the fit of the madhabs. I myself am mujtahid. I have my own fit. Okay. And then after that, he'll claim that I'm the Imam Mahdi. And then after that, he'll claim I'm Isa. I am Isa. And then after that, he'll claim I'm a Nabi, uh, but not, not less than the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And then finally, he'll claim, uh, he'll claim that he is uh, Prophet greater than the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam. Now the problem with this guy is what is that the Muslims no longer rule the subcontinent, the British do. And uh, one of the things that he conveniently uh, will say uh, to his followers is what is that the British rule India because of God's will. And so to fight them is not haram, and to oppose them is haram. So the British, this is their guy now. They protect him now. Uh, to this day, this group still exists, by the way, and their headquarters are where. England and they're in the UK. Uh, why? Because they received the, the patronage of the, of, of the, of the colonial uh, authorities. And so uh, this, uh, uh, this became a problem. This became a problem because in pre-modern times, majority of people are illiterate. And uh, this man already was famous and uh, he started spreading his, his uh, misguidance amongst people. And it was very politically convenient as well because it means you no longer, now you can like, you know, suck, up to the, suck up to the colonial authorities, you no longer are obliged to resist. By the way, there is, a, 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 there is there's this idea, right? It's the will of God, right? Tell me something. If, uh, uh, if you, uh, for example, uh, trip and fall in, in a puddle of mud, right? Is that the will of God? Yeah, if Allah didn't want it to happen, it wouldn't. Nothing happens except because Allah wants it to happen. Does that mean you just lie in the puddle of mud for the rest of your life? No. Then it's the will of God. You should gather your himmah together, stand up, go, go home, change your clothes, wash your clothes, and fix what, what, what happened. And so, at any rate, this is a type of laziness that's overcome the ummah, is that we kind of accept our problems as the way things are supposed to be. Allah sent us the problems, and in solving them is a solution for us as well. And uh, so, at any rate, uh, we'll come back to this point, inshallah. I have 20 minutes uh, to get through all of these things, and I will get through all of them. We're, we're, we're going to finish on time, inshallah, and continue with the, begin with the book. And so what ends up happening is that uh, this Anwar Shah, 
who is, imagine, he is like, he's the type of scholar that is very rare even amongst the ulama. Uh, uh, like the masjid would fill, masajid that are five times the size of this masjid would fill with scholars, all of whom themselves teach and have been teaching for decades, all of them to learn from him because this is a, a type of ilm that, uh, you know, Hafiz ibn Hajar or some of the great muhakkad scholars of the past had. He took this issue on himself personally that uh, he, will, uh, uh, he will answer uh, the, uh, uh, the, the lies that this false prophet uh, uh, propagated. One of the beliefs that they had was what? Was that Sayyidina Isa is dead and that he's not coming back. Why? He needed to substantiate the death of Sayyidina Isa in order to justify him calling himself Isa, saying that he, I'm metaphorically Isa, the coming back of Isa is metaphorical and he's actually dead. Uh, and which is a belief that's actually the same with, as the belief of the Christians. And because of this issue was something that everyone took for granted, um, when people were asked, what's the proof that he's coming back? People just never thought about it before. Just like the example we gave, if someone were to tell you, give me a hadith that proves that it's permissible to breathe while you're praying or something ludicrous like that. People didn't know what they were. So we needed somebody who literally memorized hundreds of thousands of hadiths to go through and find uh, uh, to find the proof of that. So he compiled that, he did that work and compiled that, that proof on behalf of the Ummah of the Prophet Sallallahu And uh, uh, he, uh, uh, Mufti Shafi, who compiled the Dars of his Shaykh, he writes in the foreword to this book that there were the ulama of the past who talked about this issue. The first person, Anwar Shah is by, by far not the first person who mentions that this is a part of the aqidah that the Muslims, were, uh, uh, the, uh, part of the aqidah of the Muslims that the uh, uh, Sayyidina Isa alayhi salam, uh, will return uh, and it's necessarily known uh, in deen. Uh, it's mentioned, he mentions Imam al-Tabari, uh, 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 this was his opinion, uh, uh, the great Mufassir rahimahullah and, and uh, Muhaddith, uh, he mentions that uh, uh, the Mufassir Ibn Aqi al-Gharnati from Andalus mentions it. Uh, uh, Ibn Rushd, the Faqih, the Maliki Faqih mentions it. Uh, Safarini, uh, who is uh, the great Hanbali uh, uh, scholar, uh, he mentions it. Shokani, who is also one of the Hufad of Hadith uh, in the later times, perhaps a hundred years or so before Anwar Shah. He not only mentions it, but he actually writes a small, just, uh, uh, a small uh, book, a tract on this issue. And uh, 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 he will uh, mention uh, in, that, in that book uh, something like 26 different hadiths on the issue. Uh, Shokani is himself, he, he's a, he, he is a muhadith of the later age from Yemen and he doesn't follow a madhab, rather he has his own, he is himself a, a mujtahid by right. And he will, uh, uh, he will, one of the books that he writes is a pro prolific author, he'll gather 20 something odd hadiths on the topic. Um, uh, Mufti Shafi, uh, uh, from the Dars of his Shaykh, he gathers 75. But the longest book on the topic before him is Shokani. And to give you an idea, there are very few issues in the Sharia in which you'll gather five or six hadiths on one topic. Usually the, the issue is considered settled if it gets to that point. There's really no longer any uh, significant debate about that issue anymore. Uh, he mentions that uh, uh, Muhammad bin Ja'far al-Kittani the famous hafiz of hadith from, uh, 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 from Morocco. Uh, he also will claim that this issue is uh, uh, established by Tawatur. Uh, 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 and 
the last name that he gives uh, is uh, Muhammad Zahid al-Kothari, who is the adjunct to the last Sheikh of Islam of the Ottoman Empire, uh, This is a very diverse group of people. This group of people agrees about very few things. Often, many of them were actually intellectual adversaries of one another that debated issues like tooth and nail. But the reason for mentioning this list of people is that they're from all of the different madahib and they, they're from all different uh, ranges on the spectrum of the intellectual history of Islam. And all of them not only agreed, but they wrote nas, they, they gave fatwa that this issue is a necessarily known part of deen. The last name which we mentioned, Muhammad Zahid bin Kothari, uh, his most famous student was from Halab. His name was Shaykh Abdul Fatah Abu Ghudda, Allah have mercy on him. Who is, uh, who is probably in the last century uh, one of the most prolific, if not the most prolific uh, muhaddith of the Arabs. Uh, Allah Ta'ala have mercy on him. Uh, his students are still uh, doing valuable work of tahqiq uh, in the hadith of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Kothari rahimahullah ta'ala will tell his student, Sheikh Abdul Fatah, that Kashmiri is uh, like gold standard. Anything he writes, if you want to serve the knowledge of deen, then, uh, then edit, prepare, and uh, proliferate his books. And so this copy that both me and Sheikh Kamal are reading from today, um, this actually is the tahqiq and the ta'liq of the Sheikh Abu Fatah Abu Ghudda. In case you think that, you know, this guy is a Pakistani guy and he's like tooting his Pakistani scholars or whatever, this book wouldn't have been printed if it wasn't for the uh, Sheikh Abu Fatah Abu Ghudda Halab, who was a teacher in Jamiat Imam Muhammad bin Saud uh, University, uh, uh, one of the most famous people who taught in that, uh, in that institution. And he will not only compile the book, but he will write footnotes on it and give the tahrij of the, the hadith uh, of that book as well. He actually will write in, in the muqaddama of this book a small risala. It's a very important, uh, 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 it's an important work talking about the misconception of, of what? That if you're in a bad situation, that accepting the qadr of Allah Ta'ala means if you're in a bad situation, you should stay in it. And he summarizes the, 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 the error of that mindset by saying what? The statement that is attributed to the Shaykh Abdul Qadir Jailani ta'ala, and it's attributed to him wrongly. Actually, he's saying it, but it's actually a statement of Sayyidina Umar anhu, that the man is not the one who surrenders to his fate. Rather, the man is the one who uh, 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 repels a bad fate with a good fate. Meaning what? If you're down today, that doesn't mean your fate is down for tomorrow as well. Rather, if you're a man, you stand and you, and you do the work you need in order to fulfill your fate of greatness. That's also uh, accepting the fate, the qadr of Allah Ta'ala. That's also accepting predestination and that's the sunnah of the uh, uh, Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. So he, he, wrote this, uh, he wrote this book for that reason. But the benefits of the hadith in the book have, are far more than what? Than just the idea of refuting this like weird nut job group that was in Punjab in the 1800s. Um, and one of the greatest benefits Sheikh Abdul Fatah writes in, the, in his foreword to the book is what is that our aslaf, our forefathers, they, they mentioned that we should mention again and again in every age and every time to the scholars, to the lay people, to the men, to the women and the children in the highest of the madaris and in the makatib that the children learn alif ba ta tha in. The description that the Prophet ﷺ gives with regards to the end days and to the end of time so that we can maintain the integrity of our community and the integrity of the Ummah of the Prophet ﷺ and protect ourselves 
from that fitna which is going to come. It's going to come anyway, so we can ourselves protect ourselves, our family, and our community. There is a little bit more I wanted to mention with regards to this, but because my time is up, uh, inshallah, I will yield the remainder of my time uh, uh, to the speaker, uh, not of the house, but uh, for tonight's program, uh, Sheikh Kamaluddin. Barakallahu feekum, sallallahu ta'ala, sallam ala Sayyidina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in.